It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. And what's up? Welcome in, everybody. West Mitchell, Chris Clark, GC Live Wednesday episode of the show. As always, brought to you by our good friend Clint Hammond of the Mortgage Network. Give Clint a shout, 803-771-6933, or just go check out clinthammond.com. You can get all the details there. And, of course, uh, Clint will get you hooked up looking for a new mortgage. Maybe you want to buy a new house. Maybe you want to upgrade, downgrade, or just uh, refinance. Clint can... uh, Get you in a new home, save you some money, and uh, interest rates have literally, uh, I would say, never been better than they have been the last year or so. So if you're looking at refinancing, great time to give him a call, and I promise you, you can save yourself some money. And we, of course, uh, appreciate Clint every single day for making this show possible as our main primary presenting sponsor. So uh, do us a favor. Obviously, if you're not in the market for a house, don't go buy a house. But if you are in the market for a house or maybe want to try to save some money, do us a favor. Give Clint a chance to earn your business. I promise you know, he'll take great care of you. Again, ClintHammond.com. Again, I'm Wes. He's Chris. What's up to everybody? Lively chat already. I see some new names on here, I believe. Uh, what's up, guys? What's up, girls? Hope you're doing well. Wednesday show, we're going to hit on a lot of sports today, a lot of different sports, I should say, some football talk. Actually, some soccer talk, which I guess is probably a first for the show. I will not be breaking down any soccer plays or anything about soccer, but major announcement from South Carolina today. And then we're, of course, going to talk a little bit of Gamecock baseball as their season continues. Big win as far as uh, the margin of victory last night, an expected win, but a big win over Charleston Southern. South Carolina gets ready for a Thursday, Friday, Saturday matchup. So mark your calendars, not Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. This week, we'll have Colin Taylor joining us probably in about 15 minutes to talk a bit about that as well. Before we get sort of dive into the things that we're going to probably go into a little bit more depth on, Chris, uh, let's for the first time in show history start with some soccer talk and uh, this announcement from from South Carolina. And and clearly, I I think just, Chris, from the way they handled this thing with having an actual press conference, Having, um, by the way, University of South Carolina and Gamecock Central alum Alyssa Lang was actually at sort of moderating, uh, speaking at the press conference they had. Henry McMaster was there. Bob Caslin was there. And the, South Carolina clearly is excited about this new partnership. Uh, the announcement today that uh, the Gamecocks are the official education partner of MLS. Major League Soccer, of course, and Colin Taylor actually spoke to 
Dr. Diana Hill Mitchell, no relation. She is the Senior Associate Provost at South Carolina. Free story on Gamecock Central if you want some more details from Colin about what exactly this program means. But, uh, Chris, if you want to go into a couple of details for everybody, it sounds kind of like a true win-win. Obviously, MLS was looking for an educational partner. But there are a lot of baked-in advantages here for South Carolina as well. It's a really neat advantage for them. I think it's just a no-brainer type thing. And a, and a look, I mean, the I, I've made some more calls on this too. Aside from, I mean, Colin did a great job covering that, getting the story um, with some additional details for our readers. But even beyond that, um, you know, you look at the fact that the soccer is the number one sport in the world in terms of how many people watch it, in terms of viewership, Wes, how many people watch it in the world. Um, and it's also, and some people get annoyed when you say this or when I say this, but you know, uh, it's the fastest growing sport in the, in the United States, right? It, it has continued to rise. You look at just an, an easy example, um, you know, soccer, the access to being able to watch soccer on television, whether it's MLS, the domestic league, or just all these European Spanish leagues, world cup, all these different things, the access to watch world stage soccer is much more than it was like when, than when we were kids was, I mean, you, you could catch a game here and there, but it's a lot more now. Um, it's, it's really expanded. And so um, you're tapping into that market if you're South Carolina. And um, as, as was explained during the press conference and in Colin Taylor's story, you know, there's some, like you said, was baked in advantages in that South Carolina is going to have signage. You turn on MLS broadcasts, you're going to see the university of South Carolina represented. I think from what I was told, you'll see some commercials, for the university. Um, so presumably when you, you know, if there's a, if there's an MLS game on a certain network, you're going to see the university of South Carolina on there. And I think side note, you know, this is obviously a good deal, no matter what for South Carolina, but a couple auxiliary things here. Number one, you might see this replicated, whether it's South Carolina or some other places with some other leagues, right? Some other professional leagues. I think you could see this type of model going forward. And also, I think this signals the fact that South Carolina is, you know, looking to make a big investment just in soccer as a sport overall. We all know that Mark Burson is his final year at South Carolina, retiring, stepping away from the game. South Carolina, there's been a lot of discussion for many years about the soccer program at South Carolina and where South Carolina is going with that is they're going to hire a new coach and they're looking to be really good in men's soccer, just as they have been in women's soccer under Shelly Smith. So, just a side note there, but getting back to the deal, I think it's I think it's a no brainer and a really good deal for the Gamecocks. Yeah, and I, I believe it's going to include some potential uh, internship possibilities for current South Carolina students, which, which will be awesome. I, I'm curious to see, Chris, can if you're South Carolina, if you're the new coach, um, can you parlay this into some recruiting advantages? I, I don't know enough about necessarily how soccer recruiting works. I'm not going to pretend I do. Uh, to know exactly what that might look like. But if I'm a, a, if I'm South Carolina recruiting a new coach, deciding who my new coach is going to be, you know, I'm, I maybe try to show, use this to show my commitment to the sport and be, you know, whoever that new coach is, 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 are there built in advantages here? I don't know, but I've always thought, even as someone who again, has not really been a soccer fan, Seeing, you know, growing up uh, right down the road for me, Northwestern soccer was always outstanding. Um, 
Irmo soccer was always really, really good. I think these days, um, I think River Bluff and Dutch Fork, uh, y'all can correct me if I'm speaking wrongly on that. But point being, lots of local teams that are really, really good traditionally in this state um, at soccer. So I've, I've always sort of thought that, uh, you know, w- without really having a ton of local competition, um, you know, South there, there is no SEC soccer. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of programs locally that, that don't have major soccer programs, men's soccer programs. So you would think there would be something that, uh, that South Carolina could maybe take advantage of there. So we'll, we'll see if that can continue as, as you say, the sport is growing and we'll see if South Carolina can take advantage. And, and we've seen, I mean, we've seen South Carolina's women's soccer program excel. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you, you would think that that uh, that opportunity would be there for the men as well. So big big day for South Carolina. I I, I appreciated the way they promoted this. That, that's something we, and I would say the collective we, like not you and me, but just people who have been around South Carolina have have sort of not always been impressed with um, the way they've sort of marketed certain things. But I, I think they did a good job of making this a big deal and uh, presenting it as a big deal and um, potentially, as you said, leads the way for more such partnerships moving forward. Uh, Let's talk a little bit of football. I want to start – we can maybe get into the team itself probably after Colin Taylor. We'll have him on like 215 or so. But um, I want to talk a little bit of NFL draft because this is something Chris and I have talked about off the air, and we are inching ever closely – to, to draft day here in a couple of weeks. And uh, I think we're all, you know, it, it's pretty much locked in. J.C. Horn will be the first South Carolina player drafted. Nobody, you know, from the program is going to jump him. The question right now is just how high does he go? Where does he go? Latest mock draft I saw from Mel Kuyper had him going, I think, 15th to the Cowboys. Um, but, Chris, there's been a little shift uh, in some stuff that's out there publicly from these draft guys. And I believe uh, you told me from some stuff you've heard as well from some people you talked to. Who do you think is going to be the second guy from the South Carolina football program drafted? And how high might they go? So I think that behind Horn, the two contenders maybe for that spot uh, and, and I don't want to put a def, make a definitive statement on that is that there's only two but that seems most likely um Ernest Jones whose stock has been up lately um he's gotten some buzz I think it was Mel Kuyper had him mocked in the second round which I think was surprising to a lot of people that, that he was even that high um but talking to some people that, that I've spoken with about NFL draft matters in the last few days you know, there's a lot of, yeah, Ernest Jones, you know, I like him or they like him. Um, so certainly he's going to have a chance. I, I don't know if it'll be second round. When you get in that range, it's about who likes you and, and what the needs are. Um, but certainly even before that, Wes, there were some folks that thought Ernest Jones could be a third round guy, a fourth round guy, somewhere in that range. So I think it's Ernest and then a Shy Smith. Shy Smith's another guy that's had sort of a pretty big range put on him. Uh, he tested well. He had a really good senior season at South Carolina in terms of his productivity. Um, he's got good game tape. He shows competitiveness. I mean, we've talked about Shy Smith a lot on this program and what he can bring to the field. Um, 
he's someone that sort of has that, you know, maybe a three to five round type of range. Could he, could he catapult up to the second, you know, if something happened, maybe, I, I think for a guy like Jones and Smith, the second round would probably be like the dream scenario for them in terms of probably their, their ceiling as far as how high they could go. And then you, if you look at maybe the floor, you know, some people think about fourth or fifth round or so. Another one that's sort of, I don't know if he's in that category, but, you know, Israel Mukwamu has been sort of, for lack of a better term, like polarizing a little bit among draft people. Um, you know, his ceiling, for instance, seems to be, some people think maybe fourth or fifth round is much more likely for him, and then he could fall back further just depending. So um, I think it's Jones and Smith probably make sense as, as the two guys that would be number two off the board as far as Gamecocks. Well, and, you know, we, we've talked about Ernest Jones on, on the show and as far as him as a prospect uh, maybe a month or so ago. And I, I think what we said then was obviously, you know, watching this kid play, we'll, we'll say really for the, the better part of the last couple of seasons when he really took over as, as the primary guy um, on this defense and the leader on this defense. Uh, you know, I, I think Ernest Jones as a football player, you'll say, yeah, second round, that that makes sense. This kid was a really good football player, extremely sharp, um, great uh, great IQ, great football IQ, and, and just a kid that is going to lead your your unit if, um, you know, if he's in that position. Like, he, he's a guy who has natural leadership qualities. Yeah. The the big question, and again, you're, you're not really – sometimes people take these, like, criticisms to heart. You're not questioning – you're not saying Ernest Jones is not a good athlete. You're saying um, where does Ernest Jones stack up athletically compared to other NFL players, to other NFL linebackers where you're talking about, you know, the 1% of the 1% compared to everyone else uh, athletically. So I thought, Chris, knowing what we know about Ernest as a player, the, uh, you know, you can say what you want about pro days and how the numbers are a little bit prettier than they are at the combine, but, uh, a 38 and a half inch vertical. Um, and again, we talk about this it, in scouting terms, a vertical is, is a sign of explosiveness. And, uh, you know, he ran a four, seven, two forty yard dash. That's obviously not blazing, but, but not slow either. So I, I thought, uh, let's see the shuttle, uh, was a four, three, eight. I, I thought Ernest as a guy who needed to show his athleticism, knowing we already know about him as a player, that's, it sounds like that was viewed as a pretty good showing for, for Ernest Jones at the pro day. Yeah, it was. I think he helped himself there. He was a guy that, you know, had good game tape and those qualities that you mentioned, Wes, but he was a guy that people I think maybe had some questions about with that. And I think he answered those. Um, and I, I saw some people asking about Hutch. I wasn't, you know, leaving Hutch out of that conversation um, per se, in terms of actually being drafted, we were trying to maybe answer the question of, hey, who's the second? Because I think some people came into the draft thinking, well, Izzy's got to be the second guy drafted, right? And that's not – that's never really been the case. Hutch is probably that – you know, there, another – again, another sort of range on him, you know, fourth round, fifth round, sixth round, that kind of guy. So um, there'll be some others that have a chance, and Hutch is certainly one that it's expected that he'll be drafted somewhere. Let's go ahead and bring in Colin Taylor, our Gamecock beat writer on GamecockCentral.com. Colin, um, I don't think we talked to you last week. So since then, South Carolina with a another series win, uh, obviously taking two of three over Missouri. They take care of business on Tuesday night against Charleston Southern. 
now they get ready for this trip to LSU. Uh, we'll, we'll start with the win last night, man. Um, sort of a business-like, uh, did what they needed to do, jumped out to an early lead. Uh, shoot, dude, another, I thought, really good performance from uh, Mahoney. What uh, what were your takeaways from, from last night as South Carolina just sort of did what they needed to do? And, and t- they took away any drama, which I think is what you always want to do on a midweek and go ahead and you get to empty the bench, get some other guys out there. Uh, what were your thoughts on last night? Yeah, it was as workmanlike as you can get. I mean, that's what you want when you're a top 10 team and you're playing a, a midweek game. You go out to a big lead, you throw some freshmen out there, um, get their feet wet, and you go home. And that's what they did. And Jack Mahoney was fantastic. You got big contributions from the guys you needed to in the lineup for the most part. And then you threw three freshmen and a guy coming off Tommy John, and all of them combined to walk, I think, I think the bullpen didn't walk anybody. Jack Mahoney walked one dude and they gave up four hits. So um, about as good a performance as you can get in the midweek. And they needed it because you get to go down to Baton Rouge now. Yeah, Colin. So looking over LSU's numbers today, interesting team, it looks like. I mean, just sort of their body of work. It's a little bit of a mixed bag. Offensive explosiveness, you know, they put up 15 against Kentucky. Um, but but you look and, you know, they lost a series to Mississippi State, understandable. But they're swept by Tennessee, who's a really good team, obviously. They're swept by Vanderbilt, obviously a really good team. Did you know that they lost a game to Oral Roberts this year, 7-22? to You probably did know that. That's, that was an odd scoreline. So sort of a hard team to figure out. But what's your – give us – we'll dive in deeper. But what's your broad sort of picture overview of this team and this matchup? It's a, a weird group. Obviously, LSU came in with really high hopes, uh, a team that had Super Regional Omaha aspirations to them. They didn't get off to the start they wanted to. They've really struggled as of late. Uh, losing their Friday night guy in uh, Jaden Hill is a huge deal because he's like a projected not only first round of a top 15 pick in the draft, and he's out for the year. So South Carolina is not going to have to deal with him. So. It's a pitching staff that hasn't played well. Um, they've hit for the most part this year, and it, it's just a group that hasn't lived up to expectations. We see it a lot with teams with talent, and sometimes teams don't live up to expectations early on, and uh, it's a dangerous team for South Carolina to go down there against, and they've just hit kind of a wall as they battled a lot of adversity in SEC play. Colin, there, there's been a lot of talk about uh, the atmosphere at, uh, at Founders Park, and and what's allowed and what's not allowed and what's uh, what's right. You know, where's the line for, for heckling? Um, and readily, I'll readily admit, I'm I'm being the guy I, I hate on social media and that I, I don't know what was being said. I don't yeah. know who's crossing the line, who's not. But my, my thought the entire time was I don't hear anybody complaining about what's probably said at LSU. Because whenever, yeah. whenever I think of – like big time atmospheres, you know, you think of LSU in baseball, I think of both Mississippi parks and, and how, you know, how they have a home field advantage. Um, one, it, it can, can you give us sort of the latest on that whole drama at founders? It sounds like the players have spoken. They, uh, as far as what side they stand on yes. um, and then maybe tie that into, Hey, this, this is an LSU team. As you said, they've underperformed. But anytime you go to that park, I don't care what the uh, attendance numbers are. I don't care about anything. 
it, you're going to you're going to know it when you get to Baton Rouge. So can you maybe tie all those things together? Yeah. Uh, first of all, let's ask any other player that has played outfield at South Carolina what, what it's like to go to other ballparks in the SEC. And um, they'll tell you the, the stuff that they've heard. Um, yeah, it, they're letting the fans go now. I mean, it's been a pretty raucous crowd that I mean, it's just it's been fantastic. It's it feels like college baseball this year. Um the students have been great. They have a name now. It's not the third base hecklers. They're, I think, the Rowdy Roosters now. So fans love it. The players can't get enough of it. I mean, they love it. And it's it's so much fun. And they have a longer leash than they had in you know past couple weeks. And you've seen it get in the people's heads. And um, it's been a lot of fun. Um, it reminds a lot of people – players, coaches, fans about the, the, those Sarge Fridays, the third base hecklers, the the intimacy of it where fans were on top of you. and um, Yeah, South Carolina gets to go on the other end of that now with LSU. And um, I mean, I've talked to players that said playing at LSU was some of the most fun they've ever had playing just because the fans are so into it. And you're going to know and whether this team's – I think LSU's – I mean, I'm looking at 20 and 12, 3 and 9 in the SEC. That doesn't change anything. Those fans are going to be out there, and they're going to be as loud as you could possibly get, and you get two night games at Baton Rouge. It's not like it's a Saturday matinee and a Sunday getaway day. This is, you know, 6.30 and 7 o'clock Thursday and Friday night. So, um, yeah, whether or not LSU's record-wise good enough, um, they're still going to be – it's still going to be a great atmosphere, and I'm really, really excited about it. Chris, let me get one more thing in on this one real quick. Uh, so, obviously, you you were there, Colin, but, I mean, it's like a couple of weeks in a row or, or home weekends in a row. Like, Missouri's guys are freaking out. They've got a coach, like, what, going into the stands? Yeah. Uh, the, Florida, the Florida guys, like, help me with the disconnect here. Like, it, is it because there's a limited crowd so – these guys are being hurt, like what they're actually saying is being better heard because, I mean, I I understand if people are dropping F-bombs around kids, like, you know, calm it down, dude. But how? since when do players care that much to the extent that they're trying to fight people and cussing them out? Like, is this just what we live in? I I don't get it because I thought this has sort of always been a part of – SEC sports uh, that they're that's going on the road. That's what it is. It just means more, right? It, like, yeah. it just means more. Uh, listen, it if it, it'd be different if these games for the most part were close. South Carolina has been handing out more butt whoopings than not at home this year in the SEC. And when you get your butt handed to you, um, the way you're being getting your butt handed to a lot of it, um, and you have to hear it for 27 innings over the course of three days. Probably not, which, you know, you, frustration probably boils over at some point. So that entire scene Sunday was just hilariously awesome. Yeah, I mean, we can't say it, but sure, yeah. Um, but, I mean, it was just awesome. The fact that you have the guys jawing at the shortstop coming off the field and then Missouri's, I guess, I don't know if he was an assistant or a staffer or somebody that hops over the crowd over into the crowd to talk to the event staff and like facilities to try to get them thrown out. 
And then in between innings, you have Stuart Lake coming over and pumping that same crowd up and then getting into a verbal altercation with the same Missouri staff member. The funniest part of that was what they didn't see and you don't see in the photos. The entire South Carolina dugout was like three steps out of the dugout, like jawing and chirping at Missouri. I mean, Thomas Farr, like your Friday night dude, was like further out than everybody else, pointing and like, I mean, as, as chirpy as you can possibly get. And it, it's a, they feed off that. Like this, and then they go put up a five spot in the eighth inning and put the game away. So uh, the players love it. This is an emotional team. This is a group that loves to play with some emotion and stay aggressive. And when the fan base is, you know, replicating that, I mean, it's it's a fun atmosphere to be a part of. I'd put you on the spot with this one, but uh, any safe, non-explicit things you can pass that you've heard from your perch over there in the press box, in the open press box. The, the Stewart Lake fan section, the cheering section for Stewart Lake is hilarious. Um, they do the ball four chant now. I mean, the one, the Texas A&M, when you walk a guy, um, there's a lot. I, I can't, can't repeat. Some you probably can't repeat. Um, right. But I really want to go sit down there for a game and just hang out with them and see what it's like because it seems like a lot of fun. And there are probably a few um, adult beverages consumed over the course of nine innings in that group. That, that would be a good story for you. You could embed in, in the embed innings. Yeah. Would have been a heck of a story if you, if let's, you did that. Let's make that happen, Kyle. If you, if I, you would have done that for the Missouri game. There's something there. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get some. Hey, next game, you know, Thursday night at Arkansas. You might see me down there in the stands. There you go. Look at that. You might. I'm, I'm, I'm liking this. I'm liking this. So, so this weekend, uh, also a Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Obviously, uh, so get ready tomorrow. Don't, don't forget the game's on tomorrow. ESPNU. Then let's see, SEC Network Plus on Friday and Saturday. And uh, Colin, so probably not a surprise here, but Will Sanders officially. Uh, gets to become the Sunday guy. Obviously, it's on Saturday this week, but the game three guy. Um, I think we all sort of the way he's pitched, you knew he was going to get the ball, but uh, they locked that in, make it official this week. Um, how, how impressed with how impressed with him have you been, and how important is it or how much of an advantage is it just to know you have that guy on Sunday? It seems like every, for as long as I can remember watching SEC ball, even South Carolina, even some really good teams, you're sort of always – it seems like you're trying to find that third guy. Even the really good teams have a Friday, have a Saturday most of the time. You're trying to find the dude who can give you that consistent Sunday start. And Sanders, this guy is like the uh, the model of consistency. He gives up a home run on the first pitch of the game, then gives up a double, but he just keeps throwing strikes, right? He doesn't get in his own head. He doesn't walk a bunch of guys. How, I mean, how many Sunday games do you see where the starter is putting people on base because uh, he doesn't trust his stuff? I think it's a huge weapon for South Carolina to just know going into that game to have the confidence in this kid that he's going to give them a good start every single Sunday. Yeah, I mean, most of your Sunday guys in the SEC, you have your two, like, draft dudes on a Friday. You know, you have your first rounder on a Friday. You have, like, your – fifth to 10th rounder on a Saturday. And then you have a freshman that's going to be, you know, a top 10 rounder, first rounder in the future. Um, and South Carolina is no different. I mean, Will Sanders is 
has the potential to be a first round guy by the time he's done. But not every freshman is built like Will Sanders. I mean, Will Sanders, just from a mentality standpoint, from I mean, he keeps a notebook. He watches games on his own and keeps a notebook and charts pitches for major league games. And just it's such a different mindset um, that he has to it because he's studying it and studying pitch sequencing. And um, he's just so mature. I mean, he has the maturity of a junior or a senior in like an 18 year old's body. Um, so it's impressive. And, you know, having him and then if you can get Julian Bosnick or Brett Carey uh, fresh for Sunday, that gives you two other guys with starter stuff and starter like, you know, longevity and mentality to go out there and pitch later innings. And I mean, Brett Carey's fantastic late in games. And if you can get four or five out of Will Sanders, um, like they did against Missouri and they did against Florida, then you have a chance to win games. And it only helps when he goes into the ninth against Georgia and gives up one run on eight hits. Wanted to get your take on another individual, other side of the ball, Josiah Seitler, last seen hitting a ball to Mars last night, um, that grand slam. Wow. Uh, how has he gotten so much better? I'll just boil it down like that. Like, I remember when South Carolina signed him, decent amount of height behind him, right? He sort of scuffled. This year he's turned it on, and he's really become, at times when he's on, a really good hitter. Yeah. Um, he's, I mean, obviously a guy that turned down a pretty good chunk of change to come to school. Um, I think he was drafted the 11th or 12th round. I mean – Hype among hype for a guy like that. Build is like, you know, the next Justin Smoke because of his size and his left-handedness and um, all that. And just, you know, you jump from playing South Carolina high school ball and no disrespect to South Carolina high school ball, um, but you go from that to the SEC and all of a sudden it's instead of facing 88 to 89 on a consistent basis, maybe 92, 93, um, it's 95, 96 consistently and he struggled with that and he put in the work and it took him a really long time to get there but now he's making consistent contact and he's not a guy I mean he's hitting over 300 or close to it and he's not someone that is going to give you a 400 average or anything like that but he's certainly not a guy that's going to go over four and then three for four the next day and how, that's how he gets his average he's a guy that's pretty consistent can hit for power when he wants to um, really you know, good swing to it to where he can still choke up and control the bat while still hitting for power. And that's impressive. I mean, if you watch that missile that he hit last night, he was choked up on the bat and still was able to hit at 407 feet. So um, I was, I've been really impressed with his progress and they, you know, the coaching staff loves what he's done so far. And um, he's proven to be your number three guy. They needed someone to step up and, hit behind a Braylon Wimmer and a Brady Allen, and you're getting that with the guy like Josiah. Yeah, yeah Colin, I, I was going to say, man, he uh, he probably chokes up more than any, like, big, big, you know, big lefty type yeah. hitter. Chokes up more. Than, he, he honestly, he reminds me a little bit in his approach and his swing and just how he looks in the box uh, to, like, Kyle Martin um, yeah. when he was at South Carolina. And, you know, Kyle's power sort of came as uh, – as he got older and older and he, he was kind of, he was a big dude, but more of a line drive hitter early in his career and the power kept coming. And I, I feel like Seitler, he can, you know, he can turn on the power obviously when he needs to, but has really done a good job of being a, somebody who has good at bats and 
chokes up, makes contact, and and has kind of been a surprise, I would say, in the middle of that lineup. And um, let's sort of segue that. I, I think Seitler has sort of stepped into a spot that the staff was probably hopeful um, when they recruited him that Brennan Malone could be. It's sort of that mm-hmm. that third hitter, you know, the guy that um, other teams uh, obviously have to take advantage or have to uh, take account for, I should say. What have you seen from Malone? Y'all, y'all know I'm – I've been on the Malone train in that I'm like, if they can get this guy going, yeah, I'm seeing the flashes. Like I'm seeing the together. He's putting it together it's, now. It's starting. It's not. It's not all the way on yet, but the flashes are there. Yeah. Are, are you seeing better at bats from uh, Brennan Malone in the last uh, week or so? Oh, absolutely. Um, he was always a guy that, weirdly enough, took a lot of walks, even when he was struggling. Would still find a way to finesse some walks. And uh, now he's just cut down on strikeouts. I mean, he's doing a really good job not striking out. Um, he's doing a really good job hitting for power. I can get into, I mean, he's now, he's widened his stance and he's taking a shorter, you know, load to the ball and it's keeping his swing. And, you know, he doesn't have to really lunge out in front of a ball to hit it hard. And that's really helped him in terms of put, making consistent contact and, uh, when he's not striking out, I mean, to have a guy like Brennan Malone, who was a top 100 kid, turned down, I want to say six figures to come to school and, you know, work himself into being a first-round talent, um, which he could have been out of high school if he wanted to be, uh, then you have a really good option at the bottom of that lineup when he's hitting seventh or eighth. And he's when he's playing the way he's playing, getting on base and um, doing what he needs to do from a – power standpoint the rest will come i think i mean i'm looking at his sec sec stats now uh he's on base percentage is 357 so that's what you want from a guy hitting seventh or eighth in your order but yeah i'm, I'm on the big i'm a big brennan malone guy i was i was riding the hype train when he came in and was excited to see him last year and was bummed we didn't get it but now we're starting to see a little bit of flashes of what brennan can be and why west was conductor of that train uh last year now <laughs> So to, to get back to, you know, specifically the LSU series and this matchup, last thing I got for you personally, Colin, um, you know, what is the expectation going into this series? I think you sort of, you know, I, I think back to like the Texas series, you sort of just don't know. It's early in the season. Vandy, because of how good everybody knew they were, you, you sort of go into that one saying well, South Carolina could lose that series. Wouldn't be a big surprise. Whereas you expect them to take hold serve against Mizzou at home, which they did. What are the expectations for this series? Is it fair to expect South Carolina should go down there and take two of three or sweep, or is it a toss-up? What, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to expect the way South Carolina's playing, the way um, you know, and the rankings and the metrics all dictate that South Carolina could easily take two or three. Uh, but, you know, would I be shocked if LSU ended up taking the series just because it's at home and um, they still – I mean, it's still LSU and they still got dudes, absolutely. I mean, in the SEC – things swing. So I don't think it's going to be a sweep. Um, I think it'll be a situation where one team, you know, a team's going to win a game and then, you know, they may split the first two, like they South Carolina has done the last two weekends and it comes down to Sunday. Mm-hmm. So I could easily see that. And if you're South Carolina, the goal over these last six with should be don't get swept on the road and win the majority of your games at home. And if you do that more, you know, the path to the postseason's there and the path to potentially winning a regional 
or winning a host seed for a regional is there as well. So yeah, the, the expectation should always be to go down there and not get swept. And if you can win a series while you're down there, that's even better. Colin, uh, final thing I have for you here, man. Uh, is, is there any concern or should there be any concern you think about Thomas Farr just seems like maybe has, hasn't been quite as sharp, um, the last few weeks and and I think maybe as the game goes on uh, you see the velocity drop a little bit once he starts getting into the middle innings Um, is that cause for concern is it just sort of how it's played out Uh, something you're keeping an eye on or or not really it's something I'm keeping an eye on for sure he's obviously not had his best stuff and his best starts the last three weekends um, with Florida Vanderbilt and Missouri but he's just not getting the same swings and misses as he was earlier in the year and so they're adjusting to that. They're trying to, you know, help him pitch more to contact and try to, instead of trying to get a lot of swings and misses. Because when guys aren't swinging at stuff out of the zone, then your pitch count gets worked up. You walk more guys, and you've seen that with him. So I think they're starting to make some adjustments. They're working through it, trying to iron out some of those kinks. And this is a big weekend for him against a pretty solid LSU offensive lineup. And um, we'll see how he does because it's going to be a raucous atmosphere. And I think – his last, I mean, he went to Vanderbilt and shoved. So I'm going to be interested to see what it looks like against another good offensive lineup and another tough environment. Good stuff as always, Colin. We'll let you get out of here, man. But uh, hey, also a big weekend for my Braves and your Cubs. So, I don't know what you're uh, talking about. Braves <laughs> at Chicago. Um, we'll we'll see if I, I, don't, I haven't been paying attention to what your team's been doing, but the they're Braves bad. have been struggling. Yeah, so. We'll, we'll see who can do worse this weekend. How about that? Yeah. Uh, hey, trust me. If I had to put money on, I'd say the Cubs right now. So, <laughs> <laughs> I got you, man. All right, Colin. We appreciate it as always, man. Have a good one, okay? Awesome. Take it easy, y'all. Colin. Colin Taylor, Gamecock Central. Go check out his work. And, uh, again, go check out his story on the MLS deal as well. Um, man, Chris, could be you, – you, ne- you never want to count an LSU series in baseball oh, yeah. as a W before it happens. Yep. So it's not going to be easy. Uh, they they actually, if, if you look at the numbers, some of their offensive numbers are slightly better than South Carolina's. Mm-hmm. It's their pitching that has been a, I would say, actually a good bit worse than South Carolina's. If you're talking about, you know, there, there's one earned run difference between South Carolina and LSU. That, over the course of a season, is, is like a really big difference. South Carolina allowing 3.36 earned runs per game, LSU averaging 4.41. So I, I tend to agree with Colin. I, I think this is probably a two to three, you know, two to one, or you know, somebody takes two of three type series. But um, if they grab a win this weekend, you're, you're going into um, the halfway point of SEC play, basically having – taken two of every three games now we, we know some of that was in the you know they lost the series to vandy they swept florida those sort of even out but as far as the record goes you know you, you go in um being 10 and 5 so that's statistically you've taken two of every three that in sec play to me has always been the standard of uh, of what a, a really good team is yeah and i think it's like colin said man i mean you you want to i think in general to to expand on it even more. I mean, obviously you, you want to try to win as many series as you can going forward. I don't think it's, it's not reasonable for any team playing the schedule that South Carolina does say, I need to get sweep every series or they're not going to lose any games. It's just silly. But 
go win as many series as you can. And, and so South Carolina has been able to do that. Obviously, I mean, sweep Florida, great result, had good results the past few weekends. And that's what they've got to keep up. And this is an opportunity, tough place to play. Sure. And no doubt about it is, uh, but this is an LSU team that I think has shown some, you know, they've, they've got some holes and obviously, you know, I'm glad Colin alluded to losing Jaden Hill. I mean, He's the type of guy that, you know, huge talent. He's the type of guy that's, you know, featured on Pitching Ninja, which Thomas Farr has been on there this year and some other guys, but um, just has some nasty stuff. A future pro for South Carolina to not have to face him is, is obviously pretty significant and helpful. And they, aside from Jaden Hill, have already had some some pitching issues, as you alluded to. They've uh, You go back and look at some of their score lines. They've given up, whether it's conference play or non-conference play, They've given up some runs, you know, and and so um, South Carolina is going to have to pitch well. They're going to have to survive. They're going to probably give up some hits. LSU's probably going to get some guys on base. It's a tough place to play, but it is, I think, a series that is that is winnable, you know. And if you can go down there and, and win two of three, that's a great result. If you can go down there and sweep, that's massive. Even though it's not, you know, it's not the best LSU team we've seen in a while, uh, but it's still a really good team. Um, I, I remember, you know, talking about LSU series today was made me think of, remember, I think it was 2005 and South Carolina went to LSU when LSU was, I think, number six and South Carolina was top 10 as well and went down there and swept them. I think it was 2005. That was, and that's something that longtime Gamecock baseball fans still talk about. So going to be a big series this week and should be, should be a good one. We'll certainly have it covered on GamecockCentral.com. Colin Taylor will. Chris and I will have it covered by sitting at home and watching it on TV. But, um, dude, so let, let's close out with a little bit of football talk, football team talk. No football availabilities for South Carolina as far as media responsibilities yesterday. None today as well. We should get something as the week progresses. Uh, I think we're getting somebody tomorrow, maybe. Uh, I know at some point, I think Friday, we're going to get Pete Limbo and Eric Kimry. And, uh, of course, we've sort of continued to track what's going on, who's standing out, who's not standing out. I I wrote a piece while last week when you were on vacation diving into the linebackers, Chris. And I I think it's kind of been interesting. We we haven't really, I don't think, had a chance to dive into that position here on the show. And it's been interesting how this staff has approached sort of who's working with the ones, who's working with the twos. um, knowing there there is a clean slate for everybody. So there's a lot of rotation. I've sort of looked at it, you know, the way the way Beamer has talked about the quarterbacks, for example. He said, look, Luke Doty has played. Um, it's up to the other guys to rise to his standard. And it seems to me like the guys who have either done it on the field, combined with some maybe some seniority in there, combined with, I, I guess, whoever – has worked the hardest this off season. It's almost like they get like first right of refusal, like first opportunity to go take the job. Yeah. And then it's up to them to take advantage for that opportunity and up to the younger, more inexperienced guys to step up and, and beat them out. And um, at linebacker, we, we've seen sort of an interesting shift where Sherrod Green right now working with the ones at the Mike linebacker spot, which I was trying to think, Chris, he's predominantly in his career been a Sam 
and a will. Yep. I I think I remember there being times where we heard in practice in the past where he maybe sort of mixed in at the mic and played there a little bit. But as far as games go, as far as like how he's actually been used, he's primarily been one of the two. And he was actually really good. You want to go back two seasons ago, 2019. He had his best year playing the Sam. Now, as we know, the Sam is only on the field when they're in a three linebacker personnel. So talking about a four, two, five, that's probably the base scheme right now. The base personnel, the Sam is not on the field. The, the nickel spot replaces the Sam. So now he's playing Mike and an interesting, even bigger shift would be Brad Johnson now playing the will. And as we know, Brad Johnson has played quite a bit of buck and he has played some Sam as well in the old scheme. The Sam and the buck were sort of tied together, similar players, similar uh, requirements. Even though the Sam is a linebacker spot, you're not being asked to cover a lot. The will you're going to be in space quite a bit more. You're going to be asked to cover at times. We've talked a bunch about how Clayton White's scheme has a lot of man coverage. Your linebackers are in man coverage as well. So to, to me, that's an interesting conversation there. Can uh, – now two guys that are coming off injuries, two guys that are hoping to have their best ball in you know what I'd assume would be their final seasons, and – two guys that uh, are in slightly different positions than they've played before. So, you know, can can they hold off a Debo Williams, a Mo Caba, some of these other guys, um, to me, will be a big just question throughout the offseason and going into the season. Can they step up and handle that position? Yeah, no doubt. And, and you know, I think we've – we cover a lot of the, I guess, concerns or strengths of the team's you know, everybody thinks of, you know, prove it positions like receiver, defensive back. When you look at maybe the biggest concern on this football team going into, you know, this spring and this season, defensive back would be the one, not just on the defense, but probably overall. Um, I think you put linebacker in that concern category for the reasons that you're talking about, because you got some guys that are switching positions, they're coming off injuries. You got some other inexperience and in sort of projecting some guys as, as needing them to be able to step up. Now they could, all these pieces could fit. It all could work out and they could be pretty good there. And this group will be playing behind a defensive line that while it's not without questions, generally regarded, particularly in the pass rush department is probably going to be pretty good, but these are questions. They're valid questions. And from what we picked up West, I think there is still some, you know, I, maybe concern, maybe alarm. Those might be too strong, but linebacker has some questions that, that have to be answered through the spring, the summer, into the preseason, and, that, and that's why you have practice. So, you know, the Johnson move is one of the more interesting ones on this team in the offseason. I totally agree with you there. You know, I you remember during the recruiting process 2017, I was always a fan of Brad Johnson as a prospect. Hasn't worked out as I thought and, and others thought um, – for a lot of reasons. And I think one, number one, you look at his freshman year, he probably needed a red shirt, but he was forced into action. Um, I think, uh, you know, you look at during his career, he's had a couple injuries that he's dealt with and now you have a position change. And, and while Brad Johnson is probably more natural playing with his hand in the dirt, particularly as he kept growing, now he's scaled that back a little bit playing in space. The, the thing that you, 
do believe in projecting this move is that he's not going to be afraid to be physical. He'll have some heavy hands. He'll probably be strong against the run. But it's like you said, Wes, the coverage aspect, I think, is the thing you got to look at. Sherrod Green at the mic has shown a knack for when he was playing so well at Sam, making instinctual plays in space. He'll need that at the mic position, too, in coverage and in, in chasing down ball carriers. So two intriguing moves and two moves that, along with the other guys stepping up, the staff needs to to stick and for those guys to continue developing. Yeah, and I think – I think it's a prudent move by the staff to, to do yeah. this because you're you're sort of um, you're always trying to get your best guys on on the field and you're trying to get you know frankly as as little inexperience so as, as much experience um, on the field as possible. And now if if a younger guy, as I said earlier, if a younger guy just beats the older guy out, then it, it is what it is. But you're, you're always trying to get guys on the field who have played, and I, I think. You know, no, nothing against Brad at all, but if you were going to sort of just slot Brad back as sort of an edge-only guy, um, the the guys that are there right now, the Enigbares, uh, you know, Jordan Birch, Aaron Sterling, Jordan Strong coming in, he's not going to have near as much of an opportunity to go make a lot of plays and get on the field. He'd be in the rotation, but he's got a chance to start if he can take over this will linebacker spot and show that he can do those things you're talking about. I, I think this move has not gotten near as much attention because they just say, Oh, you know, he sort of played, he played the buck or he played the Sam linebacker. He played that anyway. Well, to me, this, this is a true position move. Like it's a very different responsibility at that spot compared to these other spots that he's played. So that will be something, um, you know, there, there's only so much, Chris, that we can see from spring practice, especially when we're not actually seeing much of it. But I think watching the spring game, that that's maybe a guy, if you want to, if you're a fan who wants to maybe think of a few storylines to dial in on, watch, watch Brad Johnson, watch 19 at, at linebacker. How's he moving around? How's he doing in coverage? How's he in space? Um, against some pretty good tight ends right generally in man coverage your linebackers are going to end up um you know across from a tight end or a running back out of the backfield in in pass coverage so Mm -hmm. that will be something to keep an eye on uh for, for south carolina moving forward i tend to think the adjustment for green to the mic maybe not quite as big of a deal as as brad johnson to uh to the will just my opinion, and they even talked about how there's less on the mic in this scheme as far as the communication. Um, the defensive linemen are heavily involved. Defensive tackles specifically are heavily involved in the communication aspect, setting your front and, and things like that, whereas I, I think reading between the lines in the old scheme, a lot of that was on the mic linebacker to, to make sure those things were handled. So uh, sometimes when you transition a guy to the mic, you're worried about that part of things. I don't think that's quite as big of an issue here for Sherrod, who is a self-admitted, he said this himself, he's not that super vocal guy. He's not what Ernest Jones is as far as continuously talking. But um, as a veteran now, he should be able to handle the responsibilities that, that go with that spot, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, with someone that like Sherrod, who's got sort of that inside, quote-unquote, playing experience, you know, like you said, Wes, at times, I recall the same thing, been able to get a look 
previous regime at, at Mike and certainly some experience at Will, which is in that older scheme, Will Muschamp scheme, considered an inside linebacker. So not a little bit more of a natural transition. Um, a little bit different, obviously, being the Mike, but I think – you know, with his skill set and and what it's going to be like in the scheme is something that could that could very well take. And I think beyond these two, obviously, you mentioned some of the guys. I mean, you know, Amo Kaba, Debo Williams. You look beyond them. You know, uh, Jamar Brown, Damani Staley's played a lot of football. My understanding is he's had a pretty good spring where he can be a depth guy for this team still, and he's obviously got a lot of experience. Um, Rosendo Lewis, you know, still being around as another guy West has just been hampered by injury so much, so as time progresses and he gets to see more and more snaps, you know, there are some guys on this roster in terms of bodies and guys that have some talent that could help, but they just need those guys to continue taking a step forward. Some of them, you know, I think Shane Binger mentioned the other day, Jamar Brown has not always been full go this spring. So some guys you're, you're getting reacclimated. Some guys are here for the first time, like Adebo Williams, some guys like Brad Johnson undergoing position change. So again, just questions that they have to continue to answer. Do you see uh, the comment here from Nathan, Chris? I do. I do. Uh, I And I'm, my curiosity is peaked. Let us do his background. Does this mean, Nathan, that you have some type of screen printing company? Or is it just, are you going to draw something? I, I don't know. Is it paper? Let, let's get some more details on that. But I am interested. That's an intriguing idea. That's a very um, intriguing idea. For those who are not on video and just on audio, Nathan says that uh, that uh, Chris needs to let us, I believe us is the ch- people in the chat, or Nathan's company, I don't know, do his background. Uh, are you game? Let's put up a Gamecock logo and the names of some regulars to the show. Um, somebody says finger paint. Yeah, Nathan, if you can go draw on Chris's wall anytime. Um, but not so seriously, if we, if we had a sponsor – this could work if we had a sponsored listener of the week or listener of the month. Maybe we could give them a prize yeah. from the sponsor, and then put their name on the board or behind you, sort of yeah. like an employee of the month gets their their name on the wall at uh, you know at where they work. So you'd have that right right above Chris, but. Keyword being sponsor. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people listen to the show. Let's do it. Even if Wes, I mean, we prefer to work with really good companies, but I mean, what if our man Stephen right here asking how much it is to sponsor? Are are we opposed to the Stephen Witherspoon uh, member or listener of the month? I am not. I'm not. He can, he can be the the listener of the month every time if he sponsors. It. <laughs> That's right. Um, Self awarded. No, Stephen, um, I'll tell you what, dude. Uh, I don't. I don't know if you, if you have a company that you're involved in or on and want to sponsor the show or sponsor part of the show. And, and anybody listening, if you want to uh, talk about it, just uh, shoot me an email. Wes at GamecockCentral.com. That's Wes at uh, GamecockCentral.com, and I'll be happy to to talk about some of those opportunities. Um, obviously. Our presenting sponsor is our man, Clint Hammond, but we do have opportunities for, for other sponsors if it's the right fit to uh, to be on the show. So we'd love to love to hear from you, Stephen, or love to hear from, from anyone else listening or watching that, that is interested in that. All right, Chris, uh, I think that's going to do it, man. You, you got any final thoughts, uh, anything else we need to hit? I'm trying to think of anything else has happened 
since Monday that we have not covered? I think we got – I'm sure we're missing something. Clowney. Clowney. Clowney, yes. There you go. Clowney found a home, the Browns, and that it, – it seems like from what the NFL guys were reporting, wasn't it – it's sort of been headed this direction for a while. Yeah. Uh, they team him up with Miles Garrett. Bookends there. Great do on on paper. Now Clowney, Clowney's. Let's be honest. Clowney's production has not been the last couple of years quite what you would want it to be, and a lot of it ha- has just been injuries. To me, I mean, Chris, I I don't think he's ever been quite the same as he's had to deal with the the various knee issues he has had. But still, if you're Cleveland, you're you're bringing him in on a on a one year deal. Yep. So it's worth it's worth taking the chance because if it works out and he can start to get back to you know what what he close to what he was before then uh you know w- watch out quarterbacks that that have to face Cleveland this year. Yeah, that's right. It's a win-win and for Clowney, I mean obviously you're a player almost any player in almost any situation there are exceptions. You're going to want long-term deals, right? That's why you see even guys who are franchise tag, that means a bucket load of money, but they'd rather have long-term deals. But for Clowney, this is a situation where if he's healthy and he produces for the Browns and they have a good year and he's very productive, then he's going to create himself a market again, whether it's from the Browns or from a bunch of other suitors for multi-year deals. And um, So it's about getting on the right track for him, for Cleveland, a, a team that has aspirations you know, of, of being in the postseason. Um you take a flyer of one year on a guy with a proven track record and, and a lot of talent in Clowney and, and hope he gets back to that form. Let's see, Chris. We did have a question about the Frank Martin media availability. That has actually been moved to Thursday. That was originally going to be today, but because of the MLS partnership announcement, it got pushed back. I'm trying to find it now. 9 a.m. tomorrow, so 9 a.m. Thursday. That will be an interesting press conference. Um, and that just jogged my memory. One other, I don't know if it's a small note. I don't think it's a big note. Maybe a medium note. Caslin talking today Yeah, said um, the aim, the hope, I don't know what words he used. Hope is probably the word, is to have a full capacity crowd at Williams-Brice if it is deemed safe to do so, if the public – you know, the CDC guidelines, all that stuff allows it. I tend to think we're probably headed that direction. Um, by the way, got my second shot today. If you're still looking for a place to do it, Gamecock Park, I was in and out literally in 30 minutes, including the 15-minute wait. So very efficient. It actually was way faster than when I got my first one. So um, if that's what you're looking for, still a, a very quick opportunity in this area for you to go get that done. And I just do that, as I've said before, I think with the vaccine being available and being uh, effective, if, you know, whether individuals themselves take it or don't take it is up to them. But just with it being available, certainly to everyone by the time football season is here, really in our area in Columbia, it's available to anyone that wants it right now anyway, already. I tend to think you're probably looking at a hundred percent unless there's just some completely unforeseeable setback um, that, you know, that we just can't know right now. 
Yeah, I would agree. It certainly seems to be moving in that direction. I think even as of maybe a couple months ago when the vaccine started rolling out or whenever that was, you know, you're still wondering, okay, how's the rollout going to go? But, but given the availability, I agree with you. And it, it does appear just based on the early comments that they are going to lean on some type of guidance from some authorities on the matter. But you would anticipate that everybody in college football is going to do everything possible and, and going beyond college football, college athletics to open back up. Because as we've said, it's not sustainable <laughs> to go through another year close to what happened last season. And that wouldn't happen this year, given what, you know, the state of affairs with the vaccine and all that stuff. Um, but, but it does appear to be moving closer, trending closer, you know, to, to full stadiums, which will be very, very interesting. And, you know, Chris, uh, Ray Tanner did apparently hint that um, baseball could uh, could be able to get some more people in there soon. So, you know, we we're talking about the rowdiness of the stadium and, and, and that conversation earlier with Colin. That would be interesting. I, I would imagine not full go 100%, but that yeah. there's a, a possibility there for them to be able to get a few more fans in, which I, I think the fan base will obviously be excited about. I thought this was interesting. The Fireflies, they've announced, um, I believe, 50% with their home uh, opening series coming up in May. And they they literally have some some areas where it's some areas are, are very much, like, socially distanced. And then even in the, like, berm areas, I don't remember who sponsors their berms, but – in the berm areas, it's like one berm is completely blocked off. Everybody's six, you know, like it's chalked off basically, separate out. And then the other berm is like do whatever you want. So it's literally they, they took the, the approach of if you wanted to be more comfortable, go sit here. If you want to make your own decision and you don't care about it, go this way. So interesting approach from them as kind of their their way of maybe giving both sides uh, to this situation an opportunity there. But but obviously, point being, we're getting back closer than normal, and uh, I know a lot of people will be excited for, for that and, and maybe excited to get some more fans in there for, for baseball. So, um, all right, Chris, you got anything else, man? I think we did hit it all now. Yeah, yeah, we did this time for real. <laughs> yeah, no close. All right, good stuff. He's Chris. Uh, thanks to Colin for joining us earlier. Thanks to everybody. A a, a good a good chat group today. Appreciate everybody joining us. Um, T says, what about the spring game? Any increase there? That's been talked about as well. Uh, I tend to think there's a decent possibility that a, a few more people are allowed to get in for that as well. So that'll be something to keep an eye on. For Chris, I'm Wes. Appreciate y'all. We'll talk to you on Friday. Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere 
and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.